Welcome to E to the Power of Three, a podcast of Bridging the Gap, where our mission is to encourage, equip, and empower every woman on her faith journey with Jesus Christ. Today, we are honored to hear from author, pastor, and evangelist Micah McDonald, also known as Micah Mack, as he shares with our podcast host, McKelty Bloom. In this episode, you will hear Pastor Micah's powerful testimony of God's redemption in his and his family's life and how God has used that to equip him for the call he has put on his life. Pastor Micah will also touch on the importance of our testimony and how that led to the writing of his new book, From Death to Life, where he shares his story and God's faithfulness with future generations. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Micah. Welcome to the podcast. Yes, let's go. <laughs> it is so, it's so fun to have you here. And you know, you were the first one, we were talking about this before, the first guy at the bridge shop yes. recording a podcast at Lake Geneva Family Camp. <laughs> yes, I feel so honored. Someday in 2065, there's going to be a book <laughs> that says the first ever male podcast recording at the bridge shop was this guy named yep. Micah. And I can't believe it's going to be in the history books. I feel so honored. <laughs> well, I hope our podcast is in the history books. That would be kind of cool. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> but I mean, we've already been chatting up a storm before we even press oh, record. Yeah. So I'm just super excited to dive into everything today and just hear more about your ministry. And um, I've been able to, this sounds creepy when I'm like, I've been following you for a while. No, <laughs> just to follow your ministry. And I remember actually you were a speaker when I was at teen camp. Crazy. So it's been Crazy. really cool to just hear more of your journey and mm -hmm. your testimony throughout the year and to see how things have like changed too. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the best parts about following people for a long time in ministry is just to see how God uses them and grows them. Yes. And all of that is so good. So I yes. can't wait to dive into that more today. Yes. But um, you are a speaker here at Family Camp. I hope you're having a good time. It's been so fun. I, I, there's no greater place than Lake Geneva. True. Uh, honestly, <laughs> the summers up here in Alexandria, you can't beat them. It's yeah. so fun. Mm -hmm. So, and if you've never been to a family camp before, there is hundreds of people all over the campground. It's so fun, lively. Uh, Three-year-olds tripping all over the place. Eighty-year-olds uh, uh, riding tricycle bikes. I mean, you get the gamut at family camp. You really so. do. It is the best. It's it's so much fun. Little plug for family camp there. Yes. So. Yes. <laughs> but a lot of people do know you. But for those who don't, would you just introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah. So my name is Micah uh, McDonald, and uh, we live in Minnesota. Born and raised Minnesota people, which I have a little spiel I bring with me on the road. Minnesota is the best state in the United States. <laughs> uh, I've preached in about 48 out of 50 states in the U.S. Uh, we travel full time as a traveling ministry across the United States of America as evangelists. Um, and then my wife, we've been married for 10 years. Um, we have two children, five-year-old girl, three-year-old boy. And uh, my family stays home when I travel for the most part because my wife is a worship leader at a church called Zoe Church. Church. It's in Burnsville, Minnesota. And so Steph has a, just an awesome ministry that she gets to lead there. And I'm so thankful that she gets to have an outlet uh, to minister um, because uh, she's she's gifted, she's anointed. So I'm so thankful for that. And um, yeah. And so for the last five years, we've been traveling on the road, uh, preaching the gospel uh, wherever God opens up a door, literally, that's truly how it works. And um, we have just seen so many awesome things. Before that, I was a, a full-time youth pastor at Cedar Valley Church in Bloomington, Minnesota. I served under Jerry Stranquist, who is the lead pastor, and then Neil Rich, who is the current lead pastor for about a year. 
And uh, man, so much of ministry journey and so much of who we become is who we serve under and who we get to learn Mm -hmm. from. Mm -hmm. Truly, it really is. I mean, even the way I think, the way my mind thinks, I am shaped by people who've gone before me. Our ministry has been shaped by people who've gone before me. But Honestly, that's the way God wanted it in the first place. Multi-generational, yes. And I think people are straight up foolish (laughs) if they think that they're somehow a hot shot or like they got there on their own. Like, Mm -hmm. honestly, that's very rarely the story. I heard Jarvis Glanzer, he's a pastor uh, in Stillwater, who said the vision that God has for your life will always predate you and it will postdate you Mm -hmm. because God was already working before you even showed up on this earth. Mm -hmm. He was already working out things that I would be doing, you would be doing. And then guess what? His vision still postdates us when we're long gone. Mm -hmm. There's things that maybe we did in our time here that now serve somebody else or help somebody else. And so it's truly been an honor when I think about our journey and the people that's been in it, the pastors that's been in it, the leaders that's been in it. And now to be in a position to give it all back and to, to now mentor others and disciple others, man, it's, it's fun. It's just fun to reflect and fun to think about. And, uh, but really it's the way God, God intended it to be too. So, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And so what is it about the youth? that yes. because yes you are we were talking before then before this just everywhere youth camps you know that's your specialty youth conferences like that is your yes. your niche yes. so what is it about well, youth the reason why it's a couple reasons one is because scripture says god do not forsake me even when I'm old and gray, which that can preach in and of itself. Cause sometimes when we old and gray, we feel like, well, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Everyone's forgotten about me. No one wants me to come do this. And there's kind of this stigma that can go with that. But it says, God, do not forsake me even when I'm old and gray until I declare your power to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And there's this like picture scripture gives us of saying, Hey, hold up. Yes. Even when you are old, like, We need to be thinking, how can I pass this on to the next generation? Mm -hmm. You know, the Bible that we read, uh, it was very much an oral culture when the Bible was written back then. So it was oral tradition. So, so much of what was passed down was literally spoken. It was literally handed over via a spoken word, via oral tradition into the next generation to know what God and who God is and, and what God's all about, his character and his nature. And so... For me, that's where, number one, this whole piece of the next generation. And for those listening, you're like, wait a second, is this guy 85? Is he like 90 right now and he's talking like this? No, I'm not. I am not. Okay. Minus about 50 or 60 years. That's where I'm at. However... I really do hope when I'm 80 or 90, I am still just as passionate, even if not even more, to equip this next generation. And... Um, and so I would say there, there's a spark plug that comes from scripture. And then the second one is I went through so much tragedy, like so much tragedy in the teenage years, like so much. And in those teenage years, that is where God got a hold of my life. That is where some of the most powerful encounters of my life came as the teenage years. And so, you know, so when I travel, and when I speak to all these teenagers across America, 
every time I get the mic, I am brought back to where I was when I was their age. I'm brought back to the same thoughts, the same insecurities, the same anxieties, the same, just brought back to those places where it's like, God, man, you showed up in my life. And so I have this deep passion to present Christ in a way that's palpable, to present Christ in a way that they can understand it. (laughs) The reason why I'm laughing right now is because I literally had a 12 year old girl uh, she, um, she dresses, I would say more like a boy. In fact, I kind of thought maybe this was a boy at first until she said her, her name, but, uh, you can tell she's not one to use words much, um, maybe even more shy, doesn't really even know how to articulate, but she said, um, I just want you to know when you started speaking and you started using Gen Z terms and Gen Z language. She said, you really helped me for the first time understand Jesus. Mm. You really helped me for the first time understand God. Mm -hmm. And when I heard that, I was like, yes, like Mm -hmm. that's my goal. Like Mm -hmm. my whole goal is to take what's the truth in his word, the principles in his word, the scriptures that are alive and active and present those in a way that a a 12 year old Gen Z kid who maybe has no Christian background can pull me aside and say, Um, I don't know what just happened in my life, but I finally understood like what you were trying to say. Like you used my language, you used what I was saying. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, man, I just, I would say there's a couple of those things that I just, uh, if I have a choice to be in a room full of adults or a room full of teenagers, (laughs) get me in front of those teenagers. And I'm up at family camp preaching to all these adults. But next week, I'm with 400 middle schoolers in North Dakota. <laughs> That's and, a shift. <laughs> and I, it is a shift, and I cannot wait for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I might not be able to bear the smell in the room, but <laughs> but still give me 400 middle schoolers any day. I love that. I just yeah. It's something I really, really appreciate as you're talking is so many times we use our, our trauma and our hard times as an excuse to be mm-hmm. like, well— this is just what my life is going to be like then. And you used it as this is what it was, but then I was redeemed and now mm-hmm. I'm going to pour into mm-hmm. where I was. Yep. And I, I love that. I just love it so much to be able to do that and to shift gears and yep. say, I'm going to use what happened to me. I'm not going to blame God. I'm going to yeah, say, how yeah. can I use my story yeah. to encourage others in yeah. it? And yeah. I, I just love that. Yeah. I would say, you know, a lot of that stems from the goodness of God. Like when you really encounter the Lord and you encounter his goodness, the natural response is literally what you just described. Mm -hmm. Like how many times in scripture did Jesus encounter someone and they encountered his goodness and then they literally, their next thought was, I I need to let somebody else know this. Like Mm -hmm. I, I, like it wasn't even like, oh, should I do this? Maybe I shouldn't. No, it was a natural thought of, oh my word, I, I, I literally got to go tell people. I got to go tell what happened. And so it says that um, the news of Jesus spread everywhere quickly, fast. The news of Jesus got around. Well, when something good happens, yeah, people are going to naturally respond. And so, um, you know, I feel like that, that has just been a natural overflow of the goodness of God that I've freely received. Why would I not want to share the goodness of God and freely give to others? And so, I just feel like, hey, um, I feel like that's the story every Christian should have is the story of God's goodness that freely have I been given and now free or freely I've received and now freely I want to give. And so um, walking with Jesus has been so fun, uh, so rewarding, not easy at times, (laughs) but man, it's been really rewarding. So would you share just a little bit about 
what that was like, a little of your testimony yeah. of what it was like to find that goodness. Yeah. No, I, uh, I grew up with two amazing parents. They love Jesus with all their heart. I grew up in an amazing home for the first 12 years of my life. I watched my mom and dad love each other. Uh, they'd bring us out on dates. My dad would open the Bible. I just, it, it was real. It was real to my family, real to them. And I saw there was a slow fade that began to take place in my home and the church that my dad was serving at as a youth pastor uh, ended up falling apart because the lead pastor left for Arizona. It was a church plant. Well, some things happened. I don't still to this day, don't know all the details, but something happened to where my dad just stopped going to church. And uh, I was around a teenager now at this age and <clears throat> just saw a slow fade begin to play out in my dad's life and uh, watched the music changed watched drugs come into my house, watched drinking and alcohol come into my home, which I had never seen that in my home before. And partly because before my dad came to Christ, that was a huge issue in his life. My dad didn't want it in the home. So why would he want to bring his former things into his home? He just didn't want it. Well, now I saw him start to bring in. And, and then uh, it was about a year and a half or so. I watched a slow fade. And uh, then I started seeing just other things that a young man should never have to see. I saw my dad cheating on my mom with different women and just saw a lot of crazy things like that at a young age. And then, uh, you know, we had the crucial conversation. My dad sat us down in the living room, me and my three sisters, and said, kids, I'm going to divorce your mom. I'm never going to step inside a church again. This is who I am now. And after 17 years of marriage, my dad left. Um, our house and there I watched a single mom um, just her whole world got flipped upside down my mom was a stay-at-home mom for 17 years and now she started working multiple jobs she went to school to try to go get a degree to try to make it in the real world um, our whole family changed overnight uh, we didn't know what money would look like we didn't know how we were gonna pay for bills pay for groceries um, there were times where I just had no clue what this was all going to look like. And then a year, one year after my dad left, my eight-year-old sister was diagnosed with stage four cancer and the doctors gave her a 20% chance to live. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just watched my dad leave and now I'm watching my eight-year-old sister who the doctors say she's got 20% chance left to live. And, um, honestly, I don't know how families and people make it in the world apart from Jesus and apart from the church. I really don't understand. I don't know how anyone makes it. Um, my mom, in the middle of all this, just called a friend, said, hey, where's the best church I can bring my kids mm -hmm. to? And we showed up to a church called Bloomington Assembly of God. And uh, little did I know that that day God was going to bring in to my life some families that would be with me for the rest of my life, who would show me what it meant to have a godly marriage, who would show what it looked like to have family dinners where you can laugh and life was fun. And everywhere where I had lack, God showed up and brought his abundance. Mm. Everywhere where I felt weak, I literally saw the strength of Christ come around me in the most practical ways to literally financial ways mm -hmm. to, um, to, uh, you know, a family bringing me on my first plane ride or first vacation or a family in the church buying me my first car, or I mean, literally all the things you would see a dad do in his son's life or just kind of, you know, have a stability there. I saw God use that in multiple ways through people in the church. And so, um, <clears throat> some years after that, uh, my dad ended up coming back to the Lord later on in his life. And, um, I was with him the first Sunday he stepped into church mm -hmm. and, uh, 
And this was a dad who said he'd never go to church ever again. And the first time he went to church, my dad started weeping the moment he got in the door. And I just watched God just slowly begin to uh, heal my dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, a dream of mine was always to preach with my dad. Because mm. my dad was a youth pastor. My dad was a preacher. And um, my cousin... Uh, had took his life and his funeral was happening and they asked my dad to do the funeral. And so on the drive up, my dad said, son, I'm going to start the message, but I want you to end the message. And little did I know that would be the first and only time Mm -hmm. that I would ever preach with my dad because a month after my cousin passed away, my dad died in a motorcycle accident. Mm -hmm. And so in my life, I've seen a lot of death. In my life, I've seen a lot of tragedy. In my life, I've seen a lot of struggle. I've seen tension between a single mom and four kids. I've seen tension between us, me and my sisters, living in two different worlds, my mom's house during the week, my dad's house every other weekend. I know what it's like to feel in the middle. I know what it's like to not know if we're not going to make it or struggle and I've experienced every spectrum of life, I feel like, at such a young age. And honestly, um, I feel like the reason why a component to my ministry is this death to life aspect is because I've just seen a lot of death in my life, but I've also seen the abundant life of Jesus and how he's so good at bringing us from death and giving us his life. That because his death was the ultimate sacrifice, I now get to have a life that I never thought possible. I now get to have just this abundant life that's mm-hmm. like, God, this is too good to be true. I'm pinching myself. Like, God, is this is this really real? I mean, the last two nights, my wife and I have been in bed talking, and I'm just like, Steph, why am I at family camp speaking to all these adults right now? What am I doing? Mm-hmm. Like, why am I the one being asked to come speak to these adults? Like, what is going on? Like, I just, I just, I just still wonder at the beauty of Christ and how he can take broken things and make them better Mm -hmm. and make them more beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's just sometimes in the brokenness, it's hard to see the beauty. It's hard to see where the beauty is ever going to come from. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just so passionate about people just saying, Hey, if you trust Christ, continue to trust him, you will watch beauty come Mm -hmm. every single time, Mm -hmm. every single time. I think it's Psalm 128. It's somewhere in Psalms that talks about how he is a God of full redemption, not partial, not a quarter, no full redemption. So I always say, keep trusting God till you see the full redemption Mm -hmm. of it. And I'm talking even the worst mistakes of your life. God has this beautiful ability to bring about the fullest redemption of even the most dreaded, worst, shameful things you feel about in your life. He just has a way of doing that. And so that's a little bit of my story. My, uh, my eight year old sister, she battled cancer for two years and God ended up healing her, um, miraculously, uh, two years into it. Um, the doctors call her the miracle child at the Mm -hmm. hospital. And we had a church praying and fasting for two years, believing for a miracle. And to this day, I don't know why her life was spared. And I can't answer those questions because as a young teenage boy, I felt like I went to more funerals than I did an 80 year old did because Mm -hmm. all the kids on her cancer floor passed away. All the kids didn't make it. And so I sometimes wonder those questions, God, why her, why her out of all these other kids who had people praying for them or those things, you know, those are mysteries I'll never be able to understand. But 
um, it's been fun to see God just write the story to our life and get the glory in all of it. And uh, I ended up buying my parents' home in 2016, the very home I grew up in and saw all this destruction. And most people would be like, why in the world would you ever do that? Like, in the minute we experience brokenness, we're like, I want out of that house. I never want to go to that house again. Mm-hmm. But I think what it's a reminder of, it's a reminder of God loves to buy back broken things and see it come to life. Mm-hmm. And for me, my home is not a reminder of sin and death, drugs, affairs. To me, this home is a reminder of God's redemption, of being able to buy back something beautiful mm-hmm. and make it a story that uh, only God could write. And so mm-hmm. one day my three and five-year-old kids are going to get to know God's beauty in the middle of brokenness and uh, just the goodness of Jesus in mm-hmm. our family. Yeah. So it's also good. And, and something that I just really love in all of that is being able to still see the goodness even in the brokenness. And because there's just so much that you could just take away and be like, well, is he good? Because that was a lot that you had to go through and a lot of pain and a lot mm-hmm. of no answers. And and to still be able to say he's good in the midst of it. Oh, it's super easy to believe it in the moment, right? No, <laughs> that could be a whole other podcast of truly yeah. navigating yeah. that. It's hard. It's yeah. hard. Yep. But yeah, I, I was going to say, I think of uh the story I hang on to, it's in my book, but the story I hang on to is Jesus looks at Martha and he's like, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see my father get the glory? And I think that's a question the church has got to grapple with. Jesus asking us, didn't I tell you that if you just believe me, if you just trust me, you will watch me get the glory. Mm-hmm. And so many of us never see the glory because we stop believing and we stop trusting. And if we would just continue to trust God with all of our heart, not lean on our own understanding of things, but just acknowledge him in all of our ways. We will watch him make our path straight. Mm-hmm. We will watch God straighten out the crooked roads, straighten out the crooked paths, even straighten out the crooked people to accomplish something beautiful for his glory. Mm-hmm. Our lives are often consumed by many things, while our Savior's greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Luke 10, 27. Imagine our hearts, souls, minds, and strength no longer dipping their toes in the shallows, but being fully immersed in the one who deserves our life's attention. It's time to dive deeper, dream, and celebrate together at the 2022 Thrive Women's Conference, happening September 30th and October 1st at the Mayo Civic Center in Rochester, Minnesota. This year's theme is Immersed, and we'll be featuring Charlotte Gamble, Lisa Harper, leadership speaker Carrie Newhoff, worship with the Annual Live and MC Fun with Susie Larson and Amber Gerstman. You'll also enjoy exhibitor shopping, the Thrive Girlfriends Party, and other surprises along the way. Groups of 40 or more to register by September 1st will receive reserved seating. See details and register at btgthriveconference.org. That's btgthriveconference.org. See you there. I'm wondering if I can ask you this, that so... A part of my story, I told you before I was raised by a single mom, is mm. that it took me a really long time to understand how God is a good father mm-hmm. because I never had one. Mm. So I had no idea my whole life. And everyone's like, he's a fa- your father. And I'm like, okay, well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. It was really hard for me to grapple with that until college. It mm. was when I finally understood 
what God as a father meant. And I'm just wondering if you could speak to that a little bit about, yes, your father was in your, in your life, Mm -hmm. but during those teenage times when one, Mm -hmm. you're really understanding God Mm -hmm. and you're being immersed in this community and hearing God's a good father Mm -hmm. of, did you have any challenge with that? And how did you come to that understanding? Yeah, no, for sure. I think honestly, the things that helped me overcome a lot of that, and I know this will not be a normal answer for most people, but I would say there's a scripture in Psalm 68, five that says he is a father to the fatherless. Another portion of scripture says he's a defender of the fatherless. And so that verse became something I held on to for such a long time, still do to this day. And I would say that scripture verse, and then also I would say um, just encounters and experiences I've had with him and I've had with God in my own bedroom when no one was around um, in high school, in middle school, just these encounters that I would have with Jesus. It was just like, it was undeniable that who I was encountering was Jesus. It was his goodness. It was his glory. And it was like, okay, this is it. This is it. And even in the moments of loss and even in the moments of grief, it's like every tear I've ever cried, he's caught it. Every tear I've ever cried, he's been there too. And uh, it's just getting a fuller picture of his character in scripture Mm -hmm. has really helped me in the areas where I lack with what I saw with my physical Mm -hmm. dad. Mm -hmm. It's really helped me to get an understanding of trust of like, okay, I will say this though. I still sometimes um, don't know if I always feel like I know how to connect to older male authority figures. Mm -hmm. I feel that void because I I don't have that in my life, in my earthly father. Mm -hmm. And so anytime there's an older male authority figure, I always get a little uptight. I always get like, I don't know what to say to you right now or how to act or what to do. And I realize that's because I don't have that like a normal kid does who has a father who's around and loves you. You know what I mean? And so for a lot of ways, I'm still grappling. I'm still learning. I still am wrapping my mind around it all. Yeah. And, um, but I think that's, what's the beauty of the grace of a good father is he gives us the space to do that, Mm -hmm. to know that he's still here and he's still there. Mm -hmm. And, um, but there's grace in the gaps. Mm -hmm. There's grace in the gaps, his sufficiencies in the gaps. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. No, I, I really appreciate that honesty. Yeah, I know that wasn't my <laughs> questions I sent you beforehand, but I was like, I feel like you'd be a yeah, really yeah. good person That's to great. answer this That's question. Great. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, switching gears a little bit here, you, you've you had just this amazing encounter with God and you're growing in your faith and you become a youth pastor. What makes you say, hey, you know what would be fun <laughs> is to take away the financial stability of all of that and be an evangelist I literally, and, and I li- all of that. What was that process I like? I literally had a full-time <laughs> job, salary, benefits, and left it all for zero dollars. And the whole reason why, honestly, is because God sent me. God prepared me to go. Um, following Jesus is the greatest adventure and the greatest reward. Um, I, I, when I first spoke on a Sunday morning at church, my pastor said, Hey, if anyone ever asks you to speak outside of our church, you need to say yes. Mm. I said, you hired me to be a youth pastor. What do you mean? I'm supposed to say yes. Mm. You want to fire me? You want like, what, 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 <laughs> kicking me out a like, I'm bit so here? confused. Are you like trying to literally let go of me in a nice way, like a nice roundabout way by saying, Hey, just say yes, get out of our church. 
And I understand now, looking back, he saw something in me I didn't see in myself. And he's like, Micah, you have a gift of preaching, a gift of evangelism. You need to get out of our church. And I didn't recognize that. I was some insecure youth pastor being like, what did I do wrong? Why does he want me out? And um, and so I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And so in my five years of youth ministering, the speaking invitations only grew and grew and grew. And then... Um, God told me to start a prayer room in my house. And so I started a prayer room and I didn't know that God was going to use a prayer room to birth a traveling ministry Mm -hmm. to get me to transition out of a church that I love so dearly. And for 19 years, I was at that church on staff for five. And it was a prayer room where God broke me down. God prepared my heart. And it was in those moments where God said, by the fall of 2017, you will no longer be the youth pastor here. Mm. And I was like, well, okay, God. So, okay, well, what's next? And I literally got nothing for what's next. I'm like, well, what's next? And there were some amazing opportunities that came down the pipeline that I thought, well, that's got to be clearly it because this opportunity just popped up. And God, you told me, and those opportunities weren't it either. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't until I took that step of faith, sought mentorship, sought counsel. And uh, even to this day, there were people who thought I was so foolish, so dumb and naive. This is what was told to me when I was getting ready to transition. Hey, buddy, just so you know, there's uh, no more traveling evangelists today. Like You just don't see them anymore. Hey, Mike, just so you know, um, there's not really a need for that anymore because pastors do a lot of traveling and speaking now, and we don't have Sunday night services anymore, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night revival service. We don't do that anymore, so it's just not much. There's not much out there for you, buddy. And I had, I, I, I just, I just had people, countless people say, it's, there's not much going on. There's not this anymore. And it's like, okay, thank you for your input. I'm thank you. So inspired. Thank yep, you. Yep, thank you. I just feel so encouraged to go take the world. This is great. But no, honestly, it's evidence to me that following Jesus is always the best thing to do, always. And uh, and then, honestly, there were six churches that offered us staff evangelist positions. One church offered us full-time salary, full-time benefits, and they said, go speak as much as you want, keep all the honorariums. I'm talking a lucrative package. And after we preached there, God's like, nope, that's not it. You're not supposed to be there. Mm. We literally ended up at the smallest church, it had just gone through a moral failure a year prior, down to about 100 people, and people were scratching their heads like, you're an idiot. Why would you leave your youth pastor position, all this? Why, why are you at a small church? Mm-hmm. Why are you at a church where there's no stability and you're trying to start a traveling ministry? What are you thinking? Yeah. I mean, there will always be those. Yes, but honestly, that was what we felt peace about. That's what we felt God leading us to do. And I say that to say this, God, yes, he'll lead you sometimes to the big, to the rich, to the wealthy, to the best towns with Starbucks in them. But sometimes God will lead you to places that people scratch their heads over. Like, what are you doing? God will lead you to those places too. So follow him wherever he tells you to go. You know, we sing worship songs. God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Oh, will you really? (laughs) Oh, will you really? Mm -hmm. No, no, you should probably probably stop singing that song till you actually really mean those lyrics. Mm -hmm. Because to say God should go wherever I go. 
Yeah, that's a different, that's a whole different level of faith. Yeah. And so we literally like, followed God to this place of a small church, going through a moral failure and starting this ministry. I, I worked a moving job to help pay the bills. I said yes to whatever speaking invitations came in. And now I'm five years into this and I have watched God provide the miraculous all the cool stories you read about in books of like financial miracles, you're like, oh my word, that's insane. <laughs> I literally live those mm. in my life. I live those in my life. I have learned more about the character of God in the last five years than my entire previous life of following Jesus. Mm. I say that to say because when you put yourself out there and all you have is God, man, you watch him show up. Mm. Like you watch him show up in crazy ways. And so it's been a life of faith. It's been a journey of faith, but man, it's been the greatest journey and uh, we've just been in rooms we had no business being in. We've seen God open doors. We're like, how did that happen? I have evangelists all the time. Micah, how come you're always booked? Micah, how come you got a full calendar? Micah, how come you got these and this and this? Micah, tell me your strategy. And I always just tell them, hey, uh, you pray and you fast and you watch God do the work. And literally, that is truly to a T. And so I want to... Uh, have my remaining days telling people what God did versus what I did. Mm -hmm. And I think ministries need to be built on what God did versus what I did. Yeah. So that's a little bit of the journey of that. Well, it's such a good story because I just think it shows exactly what you said. Like when you remove sometimes that crutch in your life of, I got this to fall back on, you really, really have this adamant faith. And of like, okay, God, I, I'm here. Like, you got to show up or yeah. we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. And sometimes those are truly when the most amazing miracles yep. come come out of. Yep. And it's, it's oh so easy, you know, like you said, but yep. <laughs> just to not have all of that. But I just think that you have this level of faith that comes from it. And mm. it shows when your ministries are just being blessed mm -hmm. and through all of it. But mm -hmm. did you have moments of like doubt and I think I'm going to throw in the towel or anything like that? Yeah, I, I, I felt like, I mean, once you pull the, once you leave the, leave the ministry position and go all in, I mean, there's no going back. I'm an all in kind of guy. So I don't, look over my shoulder for what's the next great opportunity. I don't look over my shoulder and saying, oh, maybe this could be better. I'm not that kind of guy. I'm the kind of guy that if God calls you to something, go all in. Mm -hmm. Unpack your suitcase and go all in. Uh, let God let God be the one that moves your feet. Let God be the one that orders your steps. And, um, and so I would say... Um, in moments of doubt of like, did I just make the worst decision? No. However, uh, there have been moments in the last five years where I feel like Satan mm -hmm. has tried to trip me up mm -hmm. and try to say, what are you doing being an evangelist? You're not good at it. Uh, you're not making a difference. You're not impactful. Literally, uh, last summer after camps, it was in August, I'm sitting down with my lead pastor. I'm like, Greg, am I even called to this? This is four years into it. Am I even called to this? Mm -hmm. Greg, am I even making an impact here? What's, I mean, yeah. why do I, Greg looked at me, you're like, Micah, you're stinking buying into the lies of Satan. Stop mm -hmm. it. Like, are you kidding me? Look at what God just did this summer. You got to, and so if there's anywhere that doubts come in, it hasn't been from necessarily a choice. It's been more from Satan. I feel like trying to feed me lies, trying to feed me to quit or to stop, uh, but not so much just in my own thinking, yeah. I would say. Yeah. So, well, and I think I want to highlight what you said is like you turned to your mentors 
And oh, yeah. that is because the devil wants to isolate you and your yes. thoughts to make yes. you give up. Yes. So what has mentorship been like for you? Yeah, it's been everything. The whole reason why this evangelist ministry has worked is because I saw an evangelist who did it for years mm-hmm. and said, this is how you do it the right way. Mm-hmm. Why would I want to walk through my own mistakes when I can learn from the mistakes of others mm-hmm. and never have to make them? Mm-hmm. Why would I do that? Mm-hmm. And that's so that's point. where mentors come in when they've already made the mistakes. They've already made the crucial mistakes that led their ministries to do this way now or this way. And so I just ask those questions on the front end and saying, how do I build this to last? How do I build a sustainable ministry model? And that's where mentors are key to, to seeing you go the long haul, to see you thrive. Um, and so, uh, man, my lead pastor, uh, my previous lead pastor, uh, so many people along the way have served in those roles to mentor, to help. Um, and then also I'm a big one on, you should be leading up in your own life and not waiting for a mentor to come to you. What I mean by that is you should be thinking of goals every year that you can accomplish in your physical life, spiritual life, emotional life, uh, spouse or relational life. You should be thinking those things through. And then you should be leading up with that. Don't ask for some mentor to say, show me what you want to work on this year. No, like lead up, Mm. tell your mentor what you're going to work on this year. And then every quarter, send them an update on where you are with your goals. You lead up, you come to them and say, Hey mentor, here's where I'm at. Here's what I'm doing. Um, I'm just leading up to show you where I'm at. And so to me, that's true accountability. Sometimes we think accountability is someone always checking in on me. Mm, No, it's not. True accountability is you leading up and accounting for your ability. That's what accountability is. And so, um, man, so much change can happen through that. And we're called to grow together. And honestly, most mentors, they're not sitting up at night thinking about you because they have 20 other problems they're trying to think through. But if you can lead up and come to them, man, that's where it can flourish. That's where it can be fruitful and productive versus, you know, like I'm doing this and I'm doing no, like come to sharpen one another, come to give life to your mentor and your mentor is going to want to give life to you. And so I'm convinced we can be mentored by anyone we want to be mentored to. You're like, what? Are you serious? Yeah, you can go buy their books, go listen to their podcasts, mm-hmm. go, 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 go to their conference. If they put one on we literally have access to mentorship like never before. Yeah, we need to have mentors far and we need to have mentors near. And I'm convinced both are beneficial for us. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to reach out. Like you said, I feel like Often we feel like we're burdened and we don't want to send that text at 10 mm-hmm. p.m. of mm-hmm. this is what's going on. But I don't I feel that way a lot. I'm I'm someone where I'm like, oh, I don't want to burden people. Oh, I don't want to bug them. Sure. Or, you know, maybe I should just figure it out myself. But never once have I reached out to someone and they said, I don't have time for yep. McKelty. You yep. know, I don't have this. Yep. If they're the spiritual leader in your mm-hmm. life and a spiritual mentor, it's mm-hmm. Maybe they won't respond in two seconds, yep. but you've you've started that line yep. and there can be prayer that might be happening behind the scenes yep. or having them reach out, but you just have to yep. reach out. If they're, uh, if they're a high profile mentor, like someone like, there's no way I'll ever get a meeting with them. I just mm-hmm. want to give a real practical tip. Ask for 30 minutes of their time and ask and say you want to ask them three questions and then tell them what the questions are ahead of time. Mm-hmm. The reason why is because that honors their time. It's honoring of them as a person. And then when you... We- meet with them, literally stick to those three questions and literally stick to the 30 minute timeline. And you'll realize, man, I, I didn't think this was possible. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to give a practical boundary oh, and practical good. tip yeah. for people out there that are like, man, I really want this guy to mentor me. Well, 
here's a good way to do it. So those will help you in terms of if you feel like, man, I really want to be mentored by that guy. And if you never hear from that guy or that woman, that's okay. Um, you can still be mentored by, by what you hear them say or, you know, listen to those kinds of things. Yeah. No, that's a really good practical tip. Yes. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. But while we're wrapping up our time here, I want to highlight your book a little bit and um, just have the opportunity to share more about it because I mm-hmm. think it's fantastic. So mm-hmm. first, what caused you to want to write a book? Yes. And then what is the book about? What is your yes. heart for it? Yes. The book, honestly, it's a result of COVID. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, my ministry got shut down for six months straight when oh, COVID hit. Yeah. And then I felt like God's like, okay, the book's been in you. It's your story. So mm-hmm. write it now. Do it now. It was like, well, I could waste my time in COVID or I could invest my time in COVID. Mm-hmm. So I decided to write uh, every day, uh, whatever I could come to mind. Um, they say for writers, if you're in a groove, stay in the groove as long as you possibly can. If you're in a dry spell, well, break it up, do something different. So I just took it at chunks at a time. And then um, I wrote that all during COVID, um, had it edited by an editor, a friend who's an editor did that. And then honestly, the whole, the whole heart for the book was if the only people that ever read it are my children and my grandchildren, I will die happy. <laughs> and I have a, I, I, I have a goal of writing a hundred books by the time I die. Wow. I want to write, write a hundred books. And once again, it's, it's still that same goal. If the only kids that read it are my kids and grandkids, that's great. Cause think about it. If you knew your grandpa wrote a book, I would want to read every letter that mm-hmm. he, I would want to read every word. Mm-hmm. It's my grandpa. I want to know what my grandpa was thinking in 1950. <laughs> I want to know what he was living yeah. through in 1960. Yeah. I want his perspective. And so for me, my why in books are my kids and my grandkids. And if anyone else reads them, great. Mm-hmm. If no one else reads them, that's okay too. <laughs> but we have what we have in history today because someone decided to write it down. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big believer in writing. Also, if you look at who God used greatly, I'm talking powerfully over the years of church history and history, it's people that wrote things down. Mm-hmm. It's people who had ministries that they didn't just preach. They didn't just disciple. No, they wrote. They were writers. Mm-hmm. And so, man, I have this itch to just write. I have this itch to write a lot, to write a lot of books um, and just uh, let it be a way to disciple others, to help others. Um, and authors are interesting because there's some authors you're like, man, I hate how he writes. There's some authors like, man, I love how he writes or man, I love how she writes. And so, you know, authors, it's, you pick your style, you pick your flavor. But for me, it's, it's not so much, like I said, it's not so much about the audience per se, it's more so getting out what God's putting in me. Uh, and if someone wants to read it, great. But I just think, um, you know, so many, uh, so many books today that I've read have come from the 1700s, the 1800s, and it's just rich with people who've thought about all these questions already. They've already grappled and wrestled mm-hmm. with the theological questions or things about God, and it's so fun to learn. And so, um, so this whole book is the first one. It's my life story. It's my life sermon. Um, it comes out every time I preach in some form or fashion, mm-hmm. and it's this whole concept of, hey. God's not done writing the story. God's full of glory. He's full of redemption. And he loves bringing you from death to life. Mm -hmm. And so it's two parts of the book. The first part is very inspirational, motivational, very story driven. The second part of the book is very practical. Once Christ brings you from death to life, how do you stay in his life every day? How do you live in his life every day? So the second part of the book is very, very practical to help people with that. Well, I love that. And I think you need both. You do. You totally need both. You need need the inspiration. But now that you have the inspiration and you're inspired, what do we do practically? Yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. this 
I mean, was so good. Thank you again for taking the time. Thank you. One, how do people find you and follow you yeah. in a non-creepy way? And two, yeah. where can people <laughs> get the book? Yeah, no, uh, my website is mac-ministries.com, mac-ministries.com. My book's on there. Also, you can go on Amazon. Amazon, the book is Death to Life. Um, it's right out all over. You can get on Amazon. And then um, my handle is at Pastor Micah. Mac for all my handles at Pastor Micah Mac Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all that. It's all <laughs> at Pastor Micah Mac. Love it, and we'll make sure to link to all of that in the show notes too, to make it easy for people just to click. Thank you. We're good to go. So well, thank fun you again. So fun. I hope you enjoyed. Just this hanging is so out. great. Yes. So fun. <laughs> in thank the bridge shop. <laughs> yes. First male speaker ever in the bridge shop. Let's go. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of E to the Power of Three. We were honored to hear from Pastor Micah Mack on using your testimony to follow God's call. Learn more about Pastor Micah and check out his book, From Death to Life, at mac-ministries.com or by following Pastor Micah Mack on social media. You can also learn more about Bridging the Gap at mnbtg.org by downloading the Bridging the Gap app through your app store or by following mnbtg on social media. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to being with you next time on E to the Power of Three.